if you're getting sick of driving and work and not having anything to listen to, and you got all you got is like biased uh, or one topic um, radio stations playing, you're just sick of it, and you want to hear a whole, a whole bunch of different news from around the world and around the country and around all different cities and all different perspectives. Well, this is what I'm trying to do right here. first article right here here's this article about a woman that was from london that she's uh, she, she she went to uh syria to marry some dude in some isis guy and uh she might be one of many uh, girls that marries this guy right they can marry a few different women at one time she was a 20 year old girl not a bad looking girl either and she went to syria to marry this guy that pushes for sharia law and the death of other people and the bombing of other people obviously I wonder if she hoped that her husband wasn't um, a suicide bomber. Can you imagine that? She says, my husband is a suicide bomber. Maybe he'll be here tomorrow. Maybe he'll be dead. Oh, because somebody's going to kill him. No, because he's going to blow himself up. Who knows? But anyway, so here we go. Here's an article right here. Talks about this woman. It says, ISIS bride can return to the UK to fight the removal of British citizenship judges rule. It says a woman who was stripped of her British citizenship after running away from London in, to marry an Islamic State fighter in Syria has now won the right to return to her former home to challenge the decision. Shamima Begum, who is now 20, was one of the three East London schoolgirls who traveled to Syria to join the terror group as a jihadi bride in 2015. Her British citizenship was revoked a year ago over national security concerns after she was found living in Syria, Syrian refugee camps. But United King, uh, Kingdom senior judges ruled Thursday that she would be able to allowed to return there in her ongoing fight to reclaim the status. So I guess this girl, um, her lawyer, Daniel Ferner, hailed the ruling saying his client, who wants to live in the UK again, and has argued that being stateless is a risk to her health and is not afraid of facing British just, justice. He says, fundamental rights are not extinguished because a person is abroad or because the allegations against them are serious. So I guess his other guy was saying that like allowing her and indeed other terrorists back into the UK to pursue an appeal would create a national security risk that cannot be fully mitigated, even with the dis diversion of significant resources. She said that she was just a housewife during her four, ye four years living among the terror group and has had three children while she, was, she had been in the Middle East, all of whom had since died. And supposedly she wanted to come back to Belgium to receive therapy because uh, her, um, because her, she was uh, depressed and, you know, panicking about all the deaths of her children in the, you know, ISIS uh, territory. And then she said that uh, she told the London Times that the terror group brainwashed her into believing everything they said. 
I mean, so what do you do with these kind of people? They're terrorists. Like I said in earlier podcasts uh, or episodes that people are so easily led. They're like robots. You know, you just tell something to somebody and they'll believe it. Like Chris Cornell said one time in a song, he said that the bigger lie sometimes is the more likely to be believed. But why would a good-looking girl like this move to Syria where there's like tons of fighting going on to marry this guy that's, that's a terrorist? Why would she do that in the first place? And now she wants to come back. She probably wants to come back and bring him along too, or his friends. And how does anybody know that she won't do that? So I guess that's the argument. She's a good-looking girl though. Okay, let's see what else in the news here. Okay, here's an article. I guess if you uh, get tired of my uh, podcast, I guess you can go check out Michelle Obama's podcast. Michelle Obama is uh, coming to Spotify on July 29th. And the series hopes to help listeners open up to new conversations. I guess she's not speaking to Antifa or any of the rioters that don't want to have conversations. But it doesn't seem like any kind of agenda thing. I guess that's all in perspective, right? She says, My hope is that this series can place a place to explore meaningful topics together and sort to sort so many of the questions we're all trying to answer in our own lives. Perhaps most of all, I hope this podcast will help listeners open up to new conversations and hard conversations too with people who matter most to them. I guess the podcast will touch on a range of topics including siblings, relationships, uh, raising children, women's health, mentoring, and marriage, according to Spotify. The podcast will feature former White House advisor Valerie Jarrett, uh, comedian Conan O'Brien, and journalist Michelle Norris among its first guests. I guess it doesn't sound terrible, does it? Well, I guess it's all in perspective here. I don't know. You have to check it out. But I guess Spotify um, partnered with um, Barack and Michelle Obama's production company, which is called Higher Ground, last month. So I don't know what it means when they uh, they have a partnership with Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. A lot of people are leaving YouTube to go to Spotify because of censorship. Now Barack Obama and Michelle Obama are joining Spotify. And now I, I'm guessing that there's going to become some um, censorship soon. Because of what does it mean when they're partnering, partnering up with them? What does it mean they're partnering with Spotify? I'm, I'm putting some uh, podcasts on Spotify. Does that mean I'm a partner? I don't think so. I don't know what that really means. I tried looking it up, but I don't know. Maybe they get more money out of it? I don't know. But anyways, check out Michelle Obama's uh, podcast coming up in like a couple weeks, I guess. If you're into that. It's always good to hear other side of people. For at least a little bit. My refrigerator just turned on, so it's loud. You hear that in the background? That's right. Okay, what else we got in the news over here? I see this, uh, I'm not really into the drug stuff, but uh, here's an article that says that um, there, there's a lot of people, a lot of over, overdose uh, deaths. And it says nearly 71,000 Americans died from drug overdoses last year. A new record, according to the preliminary numbers released Wednesday by the U.S. Centers for Disease and Control and Prevention. And according to the CDC figures, the trend is driven by fentanyl and similar synthetic opioids, which accounted for 36 1,500 overdose deaths. Deaths involving cocaine and methamphetamine also are rising. But I guess in 2018, there was a dip. There was a dip in uh, 2018 that there was the first time in three decades that it was that it, that it dipped that low, I guess. And now in 2019, we got a lot more. Well, last year at least. 2020, they think they're, they're predicting that 2020 is going to be worse. And they're saying, I guess, because uh, the COVID-19 and people are staying home and people losing their jobs and stuff like that and hard times, and I guess more time on their hands, 
Uh, more people are doing drugs, I guess. So that's why they're saying that maybe 2020 is going to be a worse year as far as drug overdoses are going. I don't see any numbers in this particular article on cbc.ca that talk about the actual numbers of 2020 yet, but I, we got numbers of 2018 and 2019 already so far. Here are the concluding uh, sentences uh, in this article. It says, The pandemic may have temporarily dis- dis- uh, disrupted the supply of illicit fentanyl from China, said Bryce Pardo, a drug policy researcher, whatever. Okay, so the last couple sentences says, The pandemic is likely to be creating more demand among users, many experts uh, said. The pandemic is likely likely to be creating more demand among these drug users. People are feeling a lot more despair, anxiety, and rootlessness. Someone said that, uh, and it, that also leads to more pro- problematic drug use and more risk of overdose. Man, when I'm I, I'm home now, I'm I'm laid off for a little while now. I've read I don't know how many books so far. I go on a lot more bike rides. I go a lot more walks. I read a lot more, I watch a lot more TV, I play a lot more guitar, I study more stuff. This is a great time to you know, do all these types of things you wouldn't be able to do when you're working eight hours a day and then driving two hours of the day as well. But I guess some people don't have hobbies and they're like, well, I guess we can't go to the bar, I guess we can't go to the restaurant, I guess we'll just pop some pills and just sit on the couch, I don't know. I guess I, I really don't know that kind of lifestyle. Well, I guess maybe years ago I possibly could, I would have been, because I don't drink no more, but I used to, so I guess I would have been sitting at home drinking. I'd be like, this is great. I get the drink from morning to night, and I ain't got to wake up for anything in the next morning. But anyways, what else have we got in the news here? Well, I guess we're lucky in, in uh, the United States, well, at least Chicago area, and especially the suburbs. I mean, I think Chicago is a little bit worse than the suburbs because the Chicago is just nuts. You know how they are. But um, but we're luckily, lucky as far as that goes. But I hear in Columbia, there's an article here. There's a, quite a few articles, CNN, Fox, and Express. They all do artic- have articles on it. And uh, I guess there's some illegal groups in Colombia that are using violence to enforce lockdowns to the people that are coming outside in Colombia. So people, are, so people, I guess, are like the Antifa over here. They think that you know they think they're the law. You know what I mean? And so there's like there's their their own group of people like going out to the streets and they're like, man, we're gonna make sure nobody else comes outside and spread the virus. Here's here's uh, somebody wrote here. It says that human rights activists warned on Wednesday of illegal armed groups imposing strict COVID-19 quarantines in parts of Colombia, where the state has a weak presence, threatening and even killing those who don't comply. At least nine people have been killed in the recent months for either refusing to abide by the restrictions or actively opposing them. Holy smokes. Talk about biased, huh? I've been to quite a few places where they don't have masks on, like the barbershop. I've been to a couple barbershops where, like, I've been to one barbershop and there was like 10 old guys sitting there. And I think maybe one more guy that was kind of close to my age. And none of them had mask on. And I'm talking about six weeks ago. And then I went to the Chinese place to get some food, or the Thai, Thai food place. They didn't have mask on there. And then I walked into Starbucks and also they didn't have mask on in there. So some people don't do it. Some people are just like, screw it. And then like, there's some neighborhoods where nobody wears a mask. But of course, when you go to Walmart, you'll have a mask on and you wait in line forever. So just stay out of Walmart, I guess. But for other people to, to try to enforce that on you, to beat you up or kill you like they're doing in Colombia, obviously, this says here, um, that's kind of crazy, you know? Yeah, COVID-19 kills people, of course, and so does uh, other things, like obviously uh, taking pills, taking drugs, crack cocaine. Alcohol kills people, too. 
So the people that want to save people's lives with alcohol, are they going to go out and beat people up in the streets because they're like, alcohol kills, you better stop drinking alcohol and promoting alcohol because it kills people. But anyways, that's what's going on in Columbia. That's very strange. Be happy you don't live there. Unless some of you that might be listening to this podcast might be there, but I, my, my audience isn't there yet, I'm sure. My other channel was. Now, I just seen something, uh, I think it was this morning or last night. No, I seen some, I don't know how, how new it was, but um, I seen a video where, uh, what was it, de Blasio, was it? He was painting all the Black Lives Matter stuff in the streets with, you know, the protesters. But he's like, you know, the protesters and rioters and the insurgents could go outside and break stuff and blow things up and burn things down and kill people and beat people and, and scream and paint things up. They could do that, but people can't go to church and restaurants shouldn't be opened and this and that. You know, so there's, there's, there's people with the ideology like that. Too bad the people from Columbia don't come over and beat those people up. But anyways... Here's an article here from in California. I guess like uh, uh, churches are suing Gavin Newsom, Newsom in uh, in California. Here's the article here. It says that California churches are suing governor over singing ban. What is a singing ban? Three Northern California churches are suing Governor Gavin Newsom and other public health officials over a ban on singing and chanting in houses of worship during the coronavirus crisis. Several ad advocacy groups, including the American Center for Law and Justice, filed a federal suit Wednesday on behalf of the Calvary Chapel of Ukai. Calvary Chapel, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The lawsuit alleges Newsom order prohibiting singing and chanting in places of worship violates the church's uh, constitutional rights. So as I see here, it says Newsom's order issued on July 1st says that places of worship must therefore discontinue singing and chanting activities. So what does he want everybody there to come to church and, and uh, oh, I guess they're allowed to go back to church now. So since they're allowed to go back to church, they're not allowed to sing or talk or chant. So therefore, everybody's going to use sign language, like 100 people in the church all doing sign language with each other all at the same time. I know the Christian churches, they have those gestures, right? And then the Muslims lay on the floor, so I mean... Some of the stuff you could do, you could, you know, you don't need words for. But it'd be strange if everybody was doing sign language. But anyways, that's what he said, and now they're suing him. Suing him for it. I guess it's better than Columbia where they're beating people for it. And I remember that, oh, my old channel, I think in, like, some places in Asia, they put people in cages, and they, uh, they, uh, public shame them. They put them up on the side of the highways and put signs on them that they're, that they, uh, that they had, you know, they were, uh, breaking, breaking the, um, curfew laws or whatever. For the coronavirus and there's some places in asia you know they do some crazy stuff like that in columbia as well what else in the news what else is here so yeah i think a lot of the stuff gets political you know people know what to do and it's their choice if they want to go outside or not or hang out and you know it's a lot of people's choice to do these types of things yeah we could warn people and let people know that there's you know that, you know there's consequences and say hey don't go out because of this and if they do then they're you know it's on them but i think the majority of people are playing by the rules or had played by the rules. I mean, traffic's really terrible right now. I think it's worse than it has ever been. I was telling some people. So a lot of people are going back out now, I guess, because it's summertime and it's getting nice out. But um, the other the other day I was talking about um, one of the other political bias um, when that the, the Goya Foods was CEO. Oh, there's like a fly around me. There was the, there was the Goya, Goya Food guy, CEO guy or whatever, that said that, you know, he wasn't talking down Trump. Or Obama, 
and people hated him for it. So they're like, let's boycott Goya Foods. And I was saying on um, my last ep one of my episodes, I was saying like, go buy some Boy Goya food because there's a lot of people, a lot of conservatives that aren't like, aren't like that. They're not like, hey, you know, we're gonna ban you because we don't like the, your opinion. So a lot of conservatives aren't like that. If they were, they wouldn't be watching any TV or any news or anything because most of that stuff is controlled by uh, left-wing people. But anyways, so I guess um, a lot of people are uh, noticing that Ivanka and uh, Trump are, you know, promoting Goya Foods on Twitter. And so I'm assuming that a lot of people are buying Goya Foods online because they're supporting these guys. And, um, and probably a lot of people that don't eat Goya food regularly probably just bought a whole bunch of it because they're supporting them. Well, I don't want any can of beans right now. Well, I guess I'll buy them just to support them. We could keep the beans in the cabinet for a little bit. So yeah, they're making a lot of noise on uh, on the internet right now and different sites are they're talking about how could Trump, you know, back these people up? How could these people back up Trump? But whatever, yes, Goya Foods is gonna be doing fine for a little bit, but I mean, if it's just a bunch of conservatives that are uh, buying from, they're, they're a small percentage of America. So we'll see what happens. It's called the cancel culture. It's the, the people that, you know, boycott anybody that they don't like, you know, their opinions to. And they'll cancel your, you know, your, uh, they'll, they'll fire you from, your, you know, from particular companies. People get fired for their opinions or they won't get hired for their opinions. They'll get knocked out of places. Like uh, Facebook, I, I don't know if anybody had actually been kicked off for being conservative on Facebook, but like they, they had been silenced. You know, they had their, they had their tweets and their messages uh taken off because I said they were Trump supporters. I heard. I don't know how true it is, but that's what I heard. It's called the cancel culture. How would you like to be associated with people call that, huh? Hi, I'm part of the cancel culture. We ban opinions that we don't like. We ban ya. Which isn't a new phenomenon, I guess, right? I mean, because it's like a religion. I heard people say that, that leftism is like a religion. I guess similar to Islam of today. Not really Christianity or Buddhism. Because I think there's harsher uh, punishments for um, Islam than there is any any other religion, so it's kind of like that. Where I think Muslim women won't aren't supposed to talk to men that aren't Muslim or or date them at least. And I think Muslim men have the right to screw any kind of woman they want, whether she's Muslim or Christian or whatever. But the women don't have those rights. So leftism is kind of like a religion. I mean, just think back, like, you know, back dur during the Inquisition, when people said or did the wrong things in early America, even before um, before the United States, in like the 1600s, if they believed somebody was a witch or something like that, they would throw her in the water. And if she floated, she was a witch. And if she drowned, I guess she wasn't a witch. And then she died and she drowned. Or this somebody maybe saved her. I don't know. There's not a lot of research. Uh, um, there's not a lot of articles on that or memoirs of people that were thrown in the water and then got saved but i have a book called the devil made me do it which is about the um the new england laws back in the 17th and 18th century and you had to talk a certain way and you had to act a certain way according to uh, christianity and then there was the salem witch uh witch trials and then you have sharia law in islam but when um the visigoths ransacked rome i think in the year maybe 300 if i'm not mistaken I guess I should have looked this up before I started talking, but then they went from there and they went to Spain, the Visigoths. And when they got to Spain, the Jewish people were there and the Christians were forcing their religion on the Jewish people. And if they didn't comply, they would be punished. Then the Muslims came in the year 711 
the year 711, the Muslims came in and conquered most of Spain and pushed a lot of the Visigoths or um, Christians into the mountains and into the woods and so on and so forth. And then uh, until years later, then they formed the Inquisition, um, or not the Inquisition, they formed the uh, Crusades to fight the Muslims off. That's the whole reason for the Crusades was to fight off Islam from their countries. Uh, the Crusades weren't to go destroy countries that were formerly Islam, but to fight back countries that were formerly Christian countries or lands. That's what the Crusades were for, which they have, may have fought off um, Muslim countries, but I think for the most part it was to win back their countries and their ideology, their way of life and their culture and stuff like that. It's all about power, like I said before. And so leftism is kind of like a religion. And you know what's funny about religion? Uh, like I, 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 may, I may have said this earlier, religion, there's, there's a lot of crazy stuff that it seems like, like in the real world, it's like, it's too hard to believe, right? Like if you tell any rational person that doesn't know anything about religion or any, any kind of superstitious stuff, and you just said, hey, there's a guy named Muhammad that met this guy named Allah, and Allah told this guy Muhammad to go spread his message. You'd be like, yeah, right. He was a ghost, he met a ghost, and the ghost told him that, and he went and spread it. And then years later, they wrote it down. Yeah, right. I don't believe it. Well, yeah, if you don't believe that, then there's another guy I know that walks on water. Oh, he, really? Yeah, he walks on water and he spread the message too. And he died and he came back to life and everything. You're like, really? I don't believe it. So in leftism, you try to talk to these leftist people and you try to have a conversation with them, but they, they, won't, they don't want to talk to you because they believe in this, some kind of stuff that doesn't make any kind of sense. And when you fact check it and tell them about it, most of the time, they shut you out and they say, I don't want to talk about it no more. I'm moving on with this subject. You can find tons of videos online that are just like that. And I know some people from my own experience. They don't have rational explanation, like a religion. And they fight for it. And it's an ideology. And it's a dangerous one. And many people, many people in the world were, uh, had died in, you know, in the hands of uh, religion. But uh, maybe I'm going too far, right? Because maybe, I guess Nazism is an, is a, is an ideology too, right? You can't say Nazism is a, is a religion. But anyways, what else we got in the news here? Yeah, it's just, it's just so hard to talk to those kind of people that are on, on the left. They don't want to have a conversation. They just want, you know, they just want to put you down. And when, when, they, when you say something they can't uh, fact check, and they don't want to fact check it, they shut you out. So they're just about canceling you out and get ri getting rid of you. They're not talking about a civil debate. Like Michelle Obama says, we want to start conversations. Like, really, she just wants to push an ideology, I think. I, I assume Barack Obama and Michelle Obama want to push an ideology. No offense to them, but that's what I assume. I don't know how true it is. But they want to uh, start, um, you know, push an ideology so people, these robots that they have, they're teaching them these particular things so they can have conversations among themselves, not with people that don't know or that, 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 are, that are opposing opinions. She just says, she, she should have said, we're going to teach you some stuff and the people that oppose your opinions or that you don't like, you could go to their house with signs and torches and break their windows if you don't like it. Them. Okay, what else have we got in the news? I see here in Turkey on the Daily Saba, Turkey reports 21 COVID-19 deaths as the new infections remain below 1,000 in Turkey as of today. Well, that's a better number than the hundreds or thousands, right? Well, that's just Turkey. I'm trying to look at a little bit of stuff here in, um, in, in Europe. 
Here, Italian government is aiming to return football fans to stadiums in September. There's a lot of skeptics out there. There's a lot of people that are like, no way, you guys are all assholes, bad people. Rioters could go out, but not anybody else. Like George Orwell's Animal Farm. He said about the animals, he says, uh, all of us animals, I'm paraphrasing, all of us animals are equal, but some of us animals are more equal than others. See, you guys can go outside, but you guys can't go outside. And if you guys do go outside, you guys are crazy, insane, mean, rude, dangerous people. But the other people, they're very nice. Peaceful protesters that are burning things down and breaking things. Okay, what else we got in the news? Well, also news here. I see news in the Daily Sapa about the uh, Turkish um, forces killed uh, three terrorists um, of the PKK group. And uh, I mentioned PKK uh, before in other episodes. PKK are basically the uh, Kurdish people that formed together uh, decades ago to the... Um, which I guess the PKK are, are there to, to stand up for the Kurdish people. And they're standing to save, they're standing up to save, you know, the uh, culture and their own government and stuff like that. And they're living in little parts of four countries, which is uh, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, if I'm not mistaken. I'm trying to talk fast so I can make this short. So don't quote me. <laughs> but I think when the inception, the PKK, when it first started, they weren't very, like, uh, uh, much terrorists. I think they were just people fighting against other forces, like as far as uh, like the Al Qaeda and um, ISIS and stuff like that, and Turkey and like people that wanted to push out um, Kurdish people from particular areas. And the Kurdish people want uh, to have these particular areas for their own home, you know, their own place. And um, like people like um, Turkey don't want them to. I guess that, like a lot of people pick on them, and I don't know. There's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on. So a lot of these people. Like, not everybody is good in every group. And, of course, like, even in the PKK, PKK and the YPG and all these different factions, they, they have um, suicide bombers and stuff like that. And so some of them are kind of like terrorists. I mean, they come in they just shoot up a bunch of people, you know. Just like Antifa, I guess, you know, just like a group that's supposedly fighting for one other group. And they come in and they kill people. Like, look how many people kill, were killed in the protests in America so far. Well, I guess something like that. I mean, because there's, there's people that stand up for the PKK. And the Kurdish people, and then there's people that stand on the, the Turkish side. So it's really all in perspective. And just here's a, here's an article here that says the Turkish forces eliminated three terrorists in northern Iraq as PKK's dissolution continues. Turkish security forces eliminated three PKK terrorists as part of the Operation Claw Tiger in northern Iraq. The PKK was targeted in Iraq's okay region in an air-backed operation. The minister said on Twitter, okay. In its more than 40-year terror campaign against Turkey, the PKK listed as a terrorist organization by Turkey, the U.S., and the European Union has been responsible for the deaths of nearly 40,000 people, including women, children, and infants. So I think some of the people that are, are part of the PKK are the, um, that, you know, there's like the YPG, like I said, or YPJ, which is all women, and the YPG, which has children in it, that are fighting, you know, fighting off other forces. And I think there's also some groups that are Christian, and there's the SDF. There's a lot of different factions that are underneath the PKK umbrella. PKK is like an umbrella term, but not also an umbrella term, but PKK itself, I think, has its own people. And then there's factions underneath that. But yeah, they're still fighting over there. I think it was in just 2019 when the Kurdish people were able to teach their own language in uh, schools in Iraq. And I think they're pushing for it in, in other, country, uh, other countries too, like um, Turkey. And I'm assuming, because like I said, they're like Sharia law and all these people are, like a lot of these Islamic countries and places, their laws are a lot different than America. So they're like, 
Can you imagine the military or the police coming to a California school and saying, hey, you must speak English or you're going to jail. You can't teach Spanish in these schools. This is America. We've got to speak English. Well, I guess that's what they're possibly doing over there. Because now, uh, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, Kurdish people can now speak uh, or teach their language in the schools. Where prior, they couldn't teach their stuff in any of the uh, four countries where they have um, their their own neighborhoods. So it's hard for the Kurdish people. And I'm sure there's some, a majority of them are good people, especially like the kids. Majority of the kids, not all the kids. Like I said, some of the kids are joining the uh, uh, the military and they're going out, you know, fighting, you know, shooting guns and whatever else. But they're standing up for the people. Where do you draw the line? I was talking to somebody the other day, and they, I don't remember who it was, but they mentioned me about uh, child labor, you know, back in the, what was it, early 1900s and early 20th century America. Like, you know, the Industrial Revolution prior to that, people were living on farms. And so a lot of people worked on the farms. You know, back before city life, people were living on farm areas. And so they had to take care of, they had to eat, you know, whatever, you know, uh, animals they had on their, their ranch and whatever crops they had in their uh, farm. And if there was a drought, then they, I guess they're not going to be eating. They couldn't just drive to a Walmart back in the day because there was no Walmart. And the father had to get up early in the morning and, you know, milk the cows and do whatever, to, you know, make it happen so, the, you know, the family could eat. And when they had uh, house house repairs, like the roof was leaking and stuff like that, or the basement was flooding, then, you know, they, you know, take matters in their own hands back then. And the kids, the kids, the wives, everybody, everybody worked together. Everybody was working. Or a lot of people were working, at least. And so I'm assuming when the, in the Industrial Revolution started, the father went to work. And then he was like, well, I guess I'm going to work. My eight-year-old kid could go to work too. And I guess they were new to it. And so like the bosses were like, the bosses of factories were like, well, I guess the kid's going to go to work. And we'll just put him there for 10 hours a day. Give him a dollar. Because what's he going to do with a dollar? So I assume that's how it went. But, you know, a lot of people back in those days, a lot more people died of starvation than nowadays, where people die more of overeating than starving. I think throughout the whole world, the, the, the total numbers of deaths compared to starvation to people overeating, uh, overeating is a high, way higher number than the opposite. But put, put, put somebody back on the farm where there's no Walmart or handyman or insurance adjuster or automobiles or internet or anything around and see how well they survive. It'd be really difficult. Maybe not in all places, but a lot of places. They would have to form their own little communities with, you know, households like, you know, nearby with their own little community stores and their own community people that fix things, you know, just as, just as we have it today, just in a smaller scale, of course. I'm not saying there's not people starving in the world. Of course, there's a, there's a lot of places. I forget what the number was. I'll look it up in a second here. But here's, a, here's an article right here that um, there's an article here from India, Odisha, which is a city in, I think, eastern India, Odisha. Um, this, the article says the right to food alleges starvation death of a woman in Odisha. The right to food RTF campaign Odisha on Tuesday alleged that a tribal woman in Nyagar district had died from chronic hunger and starvation. The RT, RTF campaign had sent a fact-finding team upon receiving the news that Duki Jani, 46-year-old woman, a single tribal woman, had died without having food for three days in Kalim, Kaliamba village under Niagar, Nuyagan block last month. So this is a tribal one that didn't eat for three days. And that they're saying that the government must, the government must act responsibly 
to avoid repetition of such cases in the future. And here it says that the team found that the ailing lady, despite the abandoned single woman, or uh, uh, despite being an abandoned single single woman without any income or support, didn't have an Antodaya Ana Rojana card, A-A-Y card, Antodaya Ana Yojana card. And basically what this card is, I guess India gives it out to people, you know, it's like a ration card, like part of a socialist system, I guess. Or maybe like food stamps. Um, here's Here on the internet it says Antidoya Anna Yojana card is a government of India sponsored scheme to provide highly subsidized food to millions of the poorest families. The scheme was developed by the by the then U- Union Food of Civil Su- Supplies Minister Shanta Kumar. It was launched by the NDA government on December 25th, 2000 and first implemented in the st- India state of Rajasthan. So this woman didn't have this card. Well, I guess she, she she could have survived those three days that she wasn't looking for food or looking for this card. Why didn't she have this card? I don't know. But it says that her AAY card was canceled for reasons not, n- none to be not, uh, not, not known. And it deprived her from having access to the public dis- distribution system for 15 months in a gross injustice. As a single woman, she was also entitled to a pension as Social Security, but she didn't get any despite repealed applications submitted to the authorities, they pointed out. But as per the investigation of uh, these people, they said she was finally allotted a ration number, but it wasn't clear why she hadn't provided, she wasn't provided with rice and dal under the PM Garib Kalan Yojana uh, card. She did get rice under the state food security scheme for a month of April to June 2020, but it wasn't it was not enough for her to survive as she could have purchased other essentials in lieu of rice. So it seems like you know they it's a, a screwed up system over there in Odisha, which is a city in in India. But there's another article in Odisha which partners with Coursera to up to upskill 50,000 unemployed youth. So they're giving jobs to all these uh, kids. The Odisha Skill Development Authority has partnered with the online learning platform platform Coursera to train 50,000 unemployed youth during the COVID-19 crisis. Launched on the World Youth Skills Day, the partnership is part of the global rollout of Coursera's Workforce Recovery Initiative, where any state and country can provide unemployed workers with free access to online learning, the company mentioned in its official release. Now, this is in Odisha, where the girl had just died of starvation, which uh, she didn't have her ration card. It says that the government of Odisha aims to solve the problem of unemployment in the state by improving employability among its youth. And um, according to this website, it says that currently the world faces the biggest unemployment crisis in the modern era. And the pandemic has affected the livelihoods of 2.7 billion workers globally with millions at risk in India. So maybe something had to do with a girl in India because of um, with a ration card because of the pandemic? I don't know. But here it says there's 2.7 billion workers affected globally. I'm one of them. I'm one of them that's living wonderfully off of uh, unemployment and um, IOU, IOU piece of paper, which the, the Federal Reserve is just printing off for me, which we will be paying for later. But anyways, that's it for this podcast. See you tomorrow. Have a good day. Adios. Mm-hmm.